Father, we're so grateful that we're here, that we have life, that we have health, that we have the privilege to worship you. And right now, Lord, we ask uh, again for your Holy Spirit to be here, to take the distractions of this life, uh, to remove them from the sides of our minds and so that our eyes and our hearts can be fixed on you, Jesus. Uh, we ask for you to speak to us through your word today. This is what we ask. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So there's a very popular Bible verse um, in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, that I'm sure you all know very well. It says, now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these our love. Now, theologians who are much wiser than myself, they look at the story, uh, they look at the verse in Corinthians and they say, listen, for the Corinthians, what they needed the most was love. Because they were skipping each other in the potluck line, they were treating each other poorly, their relationships were really unhealthy, to put it lightly. And so for the Corinthians, what they needed the most was love. But when you go to the book of Galatians and you look at the difficulties they faced, they thought that what they did saved them. They had this idea that their works brought them salvation. And so while the greatest need for the Corinthians was love, the greatest need for the Galatians was faith. And then they go on to say, but if you look at the book of Thessalonians, you'll find a group of people who have gone through a deep amount of grief, who have experienced a whole host of sorrows, who have lost loved ones, who have been persecuted, who have experienced death and persecution in a way the other people had not. And so what they said is, yes, while the Corinthians need their love, and the Galatians, for them, their greatest need was their faith. For the Thessalonians, for them, their greatest need was hope. And I look back on this year of the 2021, and though there are a lot of things that we can be grateful for, for new blessings, new baptisms, some new babies, I can't help but believe what we need looking forward in the year 2022 is a new hope. A new hope that is found in the scriptures. You know, one thing I wish I could do this morning is to tell you that things are going to get better. That the coronavirus, the pandemic, is going to end. That uh, that, that your job satisfaction will increase, that your relationships will improve. You know, I, I don't, I'm sure you've noticed by now that uh, at this point today, there has been uh, uh, 800,000 people who have died of the coronavirus in the United States alone. And worldwide, worldwide, over 5 million people. To give you a sense of what that is like, imagine almost the entire state of Maryland wiped out. See, in this past year, we have encountered a lot of tragedy, a lot of sorrow, and a lot of heartache. Even if you yourself hasn't been affected that deeply by the coronavirus. 
Uh, maybe you're one of the fortunate ones like me. You know, you got the email a few weeks ago. I caught the coronavirus. And the worst thing I had to deal with was uh, 10 days of boredom in isolation. You see, some of us are very fortunate, had a, had a good year. But others of us have had a difficult time, have had a lot of loss, have had a lot of tragedy. Uh, but even if the coronavirus hasn't affected you at all, even if it hasn't touched your life, there is a different virus that affects each and every one of us. A virus that doesn't care about your vaccination status, a, a virus that does not uh, consider whether you wear masks or not, a virus that uh, no matter what your social economic level is or whether your age or your race is, this virus will affect us all that at one point this virus will rear its ugly snake-like head and it will bite you where it hurts the most. So that even if we can escape the coronavirus, you and I will never escape the pain and the sorrow and the tragedy that comes from the virus of sin and of death. So yeah, like I said earlier, I wish I could tell you that things are gonna get better and that your new hope for the new year is rooted on the fact that life will finally go back to normal. But I can't lie to you, because over the last 150 years, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has preached the message from Matthew 24 that pestilences, pandemics, plagues, will increase in intensity and in frequency as we near the end of time and the soon return of Jesus. That natural disasters, what we call climate disasters, will increase in intensity and in uh, frequency as we near the soon coming of Jesus. And that the virus of sin will grow so much so that it will be evident in the fact that the love of men will grow cold. And so I wish I could tell you that our hope could be put in the place that things will get better. But like you know, from dealing with the pandemic for over two years and with two million Omicron cases being happening this last week, it wouldn't be a wise place to put our hope. Uh, and you know, sometimes when we experience tragedy and despair, uh, there's this temptation that in rather, rather than to find hope in Scripture, in the Word of God, we're going to flick our fingers on TikTok or on Instagram or on Facebook to discover some type of self-help psychology for our day. And, and some of the young people, they, they've nicknamed a self-help psychology properly uh, when, on how to deal with uh, tragedy and, and loss and grief. They call it toxic positivity. You ever heard of that before? Toxic positivity, that when bad things happen, brush over it, rush over it, pretend like nothing is wrong because eventually things can get better. Just, just be positive. Don't allow yourself to cry. Don't allow yourself to grieve. I think toxic positivity is best uh, described in a song that was written in the 19, early 1900s by a, by a man named Charlie Chaplin, uh, entitled Smile. If you don't know what toxic positivity is, I feel like this really describes it well. Listen to the lyrics of this song. Smile, 
though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by if you smile through your fears and sorrows. Smile, and maybe tomorrow you see the sun come shining through for you. Light up your face with gladness. Hide every trace of sadness. Hide every trace of sadness. Although our tears may be ever so near, that's the time you must keep on trying. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile. Toxic positivity. That when terrible things happen in our life, when we encounter tragedy or when we encounter sorrow, we act like everything is okay. I'm thankful this morning because even though society might teach toxic positivity, the scriptures do not. In Ecclesiastes 7 verse 3, it says that when the face is made sad, the heart can be made glad. That's the Bible's way of saying when you give yourself permission to grieve, when you give yourself permission to weep and to mourn on your face, that is when healing can take place in your heart. I'm thankful this morning that there is a whole book in the Bible that's named after crying in lamentation. And that there is a prophet in the Bible who is nicknamed the weeping prophet because he shows us that when we experience pain, when we experience loss and suffering and a tremendous amount of tragedy, that as people of God, it is healthy, it is normal, and it is, and it is even righteous at, time, at times to experience and to express your deep grief and your deep sorrow. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Lamentations chapter three, and we're gonna get to read some of this deep grief and this deep sorrow and this despair from one of uh, the prophets of God. In Lamentations chapter three, beginning in verse one. Uh, Lamentations chapter three, beginning in verse one. Uh, if you're there, say amen. I'll give you a little more time because we're going to read 20 verses, so I'd like you to be there. In Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. The Bible reads in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1, listen to the grief, listen to the despair, listen to the sorrow of this prophet. He says, I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of his, God's wrath. Verse two, he has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and I shout, he shuts out my prayer. Verse 9, he has blocked my ways through hewn stones. He has made my paths crooked. 
He has been to me a bear lying in wait, like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways and torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people. Their taunting song all the day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. I said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. We'll pause right there. You see, Jeremiah, he spent his whole life fighting a spiritual battle that was confused by those around him as a purely political battle. His mission from God was to the last five kings of Judah, and here's the summation of it. Babylon will come into Jerusalem, it will destroy everything and all the people will be taken into exile because of the wickedness of the kings before you. That was his message. And the people of Israel, or of Judah specifically, Israel had gone off with the Assyrians by then, but the people of Judah hated him because of his message. They hated him, not only those in the political court, but his personal family mistreated him and abused him as well. Not only was his message ignored and his own writings thrown into the fire, but God put extra restraints on Jeremiah's life. You'll recall that Jeremiah was forbidden by God to marry, to start a family, to have a future like that. He was forbidden by God to feast. He was forbidden by God to do anything that would hint to the people in his time that there was a short-term future for the people of Jerusalem. Jeremiah, at the end of his life, was taken, while everyone was gone, taken to exile, he was taken by those who were angry with him, forced to go to Egypt, where in, in a different type of exile, he was stoned to death. This was Jeremiah's life. This was Jeremiah's future, and he knew it. And so we read in Lamentation his sorrow, his despair, his anguish, anything far from toxic positivity. But then in his anguish and in his despair and in his tragedy, it's as if a life light bulb goes off and his mind turns a corner in verse 21. And this is where our hope can be found this morning. In verse 21 of Lamentations chapter three, the Bible says, this I recall to my mind and therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait 
quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You see, Jeremiah had learned that life is uncertain and undependable. And so he had learned to place his hope in the right place. You know, I started to give my kids uh, an allowance. And so uh, I want you to imagine this morning that every morning you wake up, God gives you, as a child of his, an allowance of hope. He gives you a $20 bill. He gives you a $5 bill of hope. And he gives you a $1 bill of hope. I know, I know. Pastors have a lot of money. Don't be jealous. I got $26, I know. And every day we have the choice of where we place our measure or our investment of hope. You know, a lot of us take our 20, the largest measure of hope that God has given us, and we place it towards our personal life. We place it towards our family and our friends, our hobbies and our entertainment. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with putting a measure of hope in your family and your friends and your hobbies. That's important. That's good. And some of us, we take that largest measure of hope, and instead of placing it on our family and our friends and our personal relationships, we place it towards our professional life, or we place it towards our politics. Or if you've noticed over the last year, we place our largest measure of hope towards the science, where we put all our belief and trust and hope in the science. Now, like I said about our family, there's nothing wrong with putting a measure of hope in any of these things. But the problem comes that when we put our largest measure of hope in situations that are up to us or up to the people in this world, and we leave the smallest amount of hope for God. See, a lot of us have New Year's resolutions this year. I know I do. Uh, I've gained a little bit of weight. I got li- to lose a little bit of weight. So I got some hope that I'm going to actually do that and got some hope that I'm going to, you know, do more in, in our career and for the church here and things like that. Uh, and, and that's good too. That's professional life. But, but, but a lot of us, we leave the smallest amount of hope and our priority for God. And so when things don't go the way we want, when we experience tragedy and sorrow, pain and loss, we are left with nothing but despair and depression. But what what Jeremiah is telling us this morning is that we have to reorient our priorities. Like him, who he learned that he can't depend on politics going better or his personal life improving. He could depend only in God. And so he took his largest portion of hope, his 20, his five, he took all of it and he placed it in God. And moving forward into the new year, if you want to have hope for the new year, we have to reorient our measures of hope that God has given us to be placed in God. We have to put our hope in the right place. But we also have to understand that biblical hope is not the same type of hope that we use in modern day vernacular. Uh, I thought of a way of illustrating this, but N.T. Wright says it's best. So let's just listen to what he says. 
Listen to what he says about biblical hope. He says, hope and optimism are not the same. The optimist looks at the world and feels good about the way it's going. Things are looking up. Everything is going to be all right. But hope, at least as conceived within the Jewish and then the early Christian world, was quite different. He says, hope could be, and often was, a dogged and deliberate choice when the world seemed dark. It depended not on a feeling about the way things were or the way they were moving, but on faith, faith in the one God. See, sometimes we confuse biblical hope with optimism. We think that if we say, oh, our business will improve or the coronavirus will improve or the school will finally open, if we think that, if we think positively, we think we are exercising biblical hope. But according to the scriptures, you can be a pessimist about the future and still have a deep hope in God. You don't have to think things are going to get better to maintain an abiding hope in Jesus. See, we can ask the question, how, how could Jeremiah have so much hope in his life when he knew his country was going to be destroyed, when he knew his life was going to be ruined? How could he hold on to hope knowing that he would never start a family? He would never have a child. His priestly lineage would end with him. How could he have hope? He tells us in verse 22, he says, through the Lord's mercies, or other versions say loving kindness, loving loyalty, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, Jeremiah understood that our hope, when it's, when it's placed in Jesus alone, we can have an abiding hope that nothing else can take away from us. I like this text in Lamentations 3 because the hymn writer wrote a hymn that we sung this morning that's based off of these verses right here, how he describes how we can have hope even when life seems hopeless. The hymn writer says, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father, there is no shadow or turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Every day, this new year, we can have hope because God is still good. His loving kindness never fails. His mercies never, never cease. They are new every morning. Jeremiah continues and he says, the Lord, in verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You know, uh, just a couple weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, 
my plans for the holidays uh, dramatically shifted. Uh, you know, good news, my wife finally got her papers to be a legal resident and working individual in the United States. Amen. Amen. I like to talk about it because uh, I'm the tall brown guy and she's the short white girl. And so when I tell people, look, she was an illegal, something happens in their mind that says, this doesn't, this doesn't quite add up. <laughs> uh, so we were going to go up to Canada and visit our family, but with the Omicron thing and with the restrictions changing, we said, okay, there's a slight chance if we go up to Canada and visit our family, we won't be able to come back. So Amy made the decision not to go. And it's a good thing she did because uh, two days before the flight was intending to go, I got tested for um, coronavirus because it kind of, kind of been going on around, and I was positive. And uh, so I quarantined for 10 days. Thank the Lord, it, it was not a big deal for me. I got the booster shot, I'll tell you, like three weeks before that. I don't want to get into the arguments of that, but it, it's worked for me. Um, and uh, so we decided to do something uh, instead. You know, you got to shift when plans change. And we decided to do something that me and my family used to do when we were kids growing up in North Carolina. We pack all of us into a van and we drive south. And we decided to go to uh, Daytona, Florida, Daytona Beach. It was really nice. It was very sunny. I don't know if you can tell that I got a tan. Uh, it was good. But one thing uh, I would not wish upon any of you uh, is the 12, which ended up being the 14-hour drive with a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. You know, I'm thankful for my wife because she really is a, a career-driven woman, honey. I, I know that. And uh, you've taken the sacrifice to stay home with our kids. I really appreciate that. And she's done a real good job with it. She uh, has really been teaching our kids how to be good kids because they have their father's genetics. <laughs> and uh, as we're driving, the six-year-old did really good. The four-year-old also did pretty decent. But the two-year-old, he's buckled into his car seat. And reasonably enough, he starts to fuss and have a hard time. Oh, where are we going? You know, in baby words, what are we doing? What's going on? And every time Amy would look back at Lucas in the back of the vehicle and say, Lucas, what did I teach you? What do we have to have? He'd look down in his cute, chubby baby face and he'd say, Patents, mommy. Patents. And he'd get mad. He'd do it again. And over the course of the trip, and mommy would look back and say, Lucas, what did I teach you? Patents, mommy. Patents. It's so cute. And I didn't know what he was saying. I, maybe I'm not around my own kids enough, but I, I, I said, Amy, what in the world is this kid? What is he talking about? And she said, I'm teaching him patience. I'm teaching him how to be patient. <laughs> Man, good, that's pretty good, right? <laughs> Two-year-old. Uh, the reason I bring this up is that we've just read in our passage twice the word hope and the word wait, or you could call it patience. Hope Wait, hope, wait, because in the Hebrew mind and in the Hebrew scriptures, if you are a Hebrew scholar, you know that the word hope and the hope wait can be used interchangeably. 
That if you look through the variety of the English translations in verse 25 and 26, some versions just put hope where the word is wait, and some versions put wait where the word is hope. What does that teach us about hope in the new year? It teaches us that we cannot have hope if we are not willing to wait. That hope cannot exist where there is not a de delay of gratification. That hope grows, yes, when we put it into God, yes, when we biblically understand it the right way, but when we accept the reality that sometimes God will make us wait. And some of you might feel like Lucas in a car seat, trapped, feeling like, where are we going? What are we doing? What is happening in this world? But God is taking you on a journey to a better place, and he's giving you an opportunity where you can wait so that your hope can grow. You know, I just found out uh, Friday night that the school wisely decided to go to a uh, uh, virtual session for the following week. And, you know, we could have a choice with this next week for the parents like myself who have kids in the school, how we wait. We can wait in a way full of hope in a way that we have grace towards those in our community, or we can wait in a way that we bitterly complain and make it harder for those who have been working with our kids for years. We have a choice of how we wait. And God is giving us opportunities during this coronavirus year, during these two years, for our hope to grow. Because we know from Scripture, things are not going to get better. Things are going to get worse. And we have to learn to shift our hope, not on the things of this world, but on Jesus Christ alone. Because this coronavirus might not come to an end, but Jesus is coming again. Your health might never improve, but Jesus will come again. The job might not ever get better, but Jesus is coming again. The school could possibly never open again, but Jesus is still coming again. And we need to keep our eyes not on the things of this world. We should put our investment not on what is here, but we should look up because very soon there will be that fist that is in the, in the sky, the cloud that is the size of a man's fist. And very soon, Jesus will descend from heaven with thousands and thousands on angels and the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive will be, meet them in the air to be with the Lord forever. And there will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more sickness, no death, no tragedy, no loss anymore because the former things have passed away. Jesus is coming again and we can have hope in the reality and the sure truth that he will come and take us home. So for this new year, don't lose hope, but look up because hope in Jesus can never disappoint. God bless you.